she said that I was making it all about me. And I do believe that she was saying that out of her own pain. For an adoptee, it's like, well, I didn't choose this. I didn't ever choose to be adopted. I didn't right. choose for me to be in this position. And so I wanted to work it out. I really did. And so when I reached out to her and tried to talk about it, I suggested let's get on the phone because emails are just things can get misconstrued. But I never did hear back from her again. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and on today's show is Ferreira. She called me from Austin, Texas. As an interracial adoptee and musical artist, Ferreira grew up feeling different from her adopted family. When her adoption was confirmed by her mother, it created doubt within herself about whether it was okay to be different. Ferreira met her birth mother and the woman's twin sister, so their reunion was a shared experience that somewhat fractured the intimate connection Ferreira would have liked to have developed. She's in touch with her birth father, but they've never met because he lives overseas. This is Ferreira's journey. Ferreira is originally from Houston. She said the first time she ever felt different from her family was around three years old. Since those early days, Ferreira has gotten her DNA test done so she can tell you more clearly now what her heritage is. But at first, all she could tell you is, I am a transracial adoptee. And so um, I grew up in um, a Chinese family and um, I'm Filipino. But there, you know, there's a big difference, though. You know, I think. Um, many people don't realize that there is such a big difference between the two, but there is culturally and all these things. But um, basically, growing up, we didn't really talk about it. I wasn't really told that I was adopted until I was um, uh, 10 years old. And and that's only because I asked, because I look completely different from my family. But I always felt like I inherently knew that I was adopted because, you know, I think the majority of us, you know, at least the other adoptees that I've spoken to have said, like, yeah, I think I always knew. I mean, even the ones that aren't transracially adopted. So, yeah, I asked my mom if I was a, if I was born from her. Those were the words I used. I think I was like six or seven. I forgot how old the first time I asked her was. And she kind of didn't answer me directly the first time. She just said, well, you know, no matter if you're born, if I gave birth to you or not, I, we love you just the same. And so I thought that was a little bit interesting, but I, like I, like I said, I knew I was not of the same, you know, from that family. So let me pause you for a quick second. So you're yeah. six years old when you first asked this question, can you remember at all how you felt? It's, it's an interesting thing for you to say that you felt different at six. Right. And and I wonder if, too, you could just explain a little bit about how you look different from your family, because when I think of transracial adoptees, of course, I think very classically of sort of a black, white mix or something like that. Very stark sure. differences. So I wonder if you could help me understand how you could see yeah. the differences so easily. I'm more brown than they are. Um, I'm Spanish. And as far as the transracial, the features, the physical features, so – I, um, I've done the 23 and me and, and all of that, but I, I'm 
more brown than they are. Um, I'm Spanish and a mix of, there's like Portuguese, Spanish, European, and Polynesian. And so it's like, I look very island slash Spanishy, and then they look very Chinese. And so there's a different skin tone, different bone structure, different build. It was like a different mm-hmm. everything. Interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. Ferreira had one sister who was biological to their parents. Her understanding is she was adopted because initially her parents didn't think they could conceive a child. But of course, immediately after her adoption, her sister was conceived. They were really close when they were really little, but everyone thought they were friends, not sisters. Ferreira talks a little bit about the impact on her emotions of finally confirming she was adopted and how it changed her behavior. Then she goes into the story of how she actually confronted her mother at 10 years old. My personality by nature is very um, positive, spirited. You know, I had a lot of energy. I was a happy kid. So on the outside, you might not realize that there's anything, quote unquote, wrong or going on internally. But in fact, there was a lot. And I think it really started coming out once it was confirmed that I was adopted. But I really feel like, you know, it would have been would have made a big difference had I found out. Um, not at 10, had I found out earlier. And at what difference um, I, do you think it would have made for you? Well, there's a lot of, in general, I think I would have been able to not go through that first 10 years of my life feeling like, you know, my heart and my mind are in a different place. Why do I feel this way? Why do I look different? Why do I, so there was a lot of, because there was all that time for this shame to build and questions and why am I not feeling like the rest? Why don't I feel like I fit in? So had, had I been told, you know, I feel like I would have been able to understand myself better because by the time I was 10, I didn't know what I was like, um, ethnically. Mm -hmm. So people would, that was another layer of it. You know, well, you, you don't like, you don't look like your family or, you know, people asking if I was friends with my sister, oh, is this your friend? Like, no, she's my sister. And that's actually how I, how I finally was like, okay, I'm adopted. That that's, there was a man in China drawing a picture of my sister and I, you know, out in this like marketplace thing, he was like hand drawing it. And he was like, you know, here you go. It's a picture of you and your friend or you and your friend. And we, I was like, this is really ridiculous. Everybody thinks she's my friend, but she's my sister. There's gotta be something like, you know? So yeah, in that way, Hmm. it's like not knowing is, was really, I feel, you know, detrimental to my psychological health. Wow. That's fascinating. So so this is the, you, I interrupted you earlier. You were about to say something about your father taking you on a business trip and this is it, the the trip to China where you drew the pic. Yeah, this is where I found out. And, um, he was, we went along with him. He was on a business, it was kind of like a business slash, um, family vacation. And that's when it all unfolded. And I finally asked her in the hotel lobby, you know, if, I was born from her and she started crying and she was like, no, but you know, you know, mom loves you anyway. And but and my sister started crying. So it was, you know, my dad was at work um, and it was just me, my mom and my sister in the hotel lobby when this happened. And I just kind of, I didn't cry. I didn't, you know, it was kind of like, uh, well, I already knew this, <laughs> but thanks for confirming. You know, I wasn't upset at them. Yeah. There's no, you know, but I was kind of like, well, why didn't. So there's an element of trust. I will say that there was an element 
of trust, I feel like that was, I mean, lost, you know, that, you know, they didn't tell me, but I think, you know, regardless of whether they meant well, because I think they didn't want to tell me because they didn't want me to feel different, but that just goes along with the knowledge now that kids do know. It doesn't matter if you tell them or not. I really feel like they might not say that they know because I was just really a vocal kid. Ferreira said everything felt secret and taboo when it came to talking about her adoption until she confronted her mother. I was wondering what it felt like for her mother to finally admit everything to her out loud. So what I was feeling was, and um, like I was saying, I was processing this as a 10-year-old with 10-year-old words emotional and emotional intelligence and, yeah exactly and i was like okay so for, so briefly i felt like kind of cool i'm <laughs> just being honest i was like okay cool i'm kind of different but then it drifted to this but i'm i'm different though and i'm i'm all alone i'm by myself i'm alienated from not not i don't know if alienated is the right word but maybe isolated like i'm not like you guys you know um it's very clear that i'm not like you all and I think that's when a shift happened. So w when she first told me, it was like, I knew this. It was a knowingness. And then there was like a, for a very, very brief moment, like, well, this, that's, I'm kind of, that's cool. I'm, I'm like a special kid. You know, she didn't use the word special, but then that's really weird. Cause then what am I? And why did my parents give me up? What's the story? You know, I didn't mm -hmm. have all those answers. Mm -hmm. So it was just ultimately a big question mark. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. So this happened on foreign soil. You guys are in China. You're not, yeah. you're not at your home. So you're out of your element. You're like there's nothing comfortable around you right now. What do you know? What do you recall about your return home and your, You've now probably set foot back in the house, and you oh have this gosh. reality now that the admission has been made. What was it like in your house after you've gotten this confirmation on foreign soil? You know, until you actually framed it that way, I've never even thought about it. And I swear, like, as you were saying that, I got chills. I was like, oh, my gosh, I've never thought about it that way. Yeah, I was completely out of my element. I had, I had no idea. It was more of a confirmation than than anything. It was a confirmation. It was like, okay, this is official. It's I'm officially told that I'm adopted and that I'm not and that I have parents somewhere else. And I don't know why I was given up. I think honestly, if I'm being completely honest, I think I started beginning to feel really I just remember I started having trouble at school, really isolating myself. Um, and it was the worst year ever because I think it was fifth grade. And I started telling friends that my parents died. Okay, so that that's like a brief little side story. I had a best friend that she was my best friend like in, in elementary school. We went on to fifth grade together. And one day on the playground, I told her that my parents died. And she was like, no, they didn't. And I'm like, yeah, they did. So as a fifth grader processing the fact that she was just told that she was adopted, I'm fabricating a story that's more, um, that's less painful to believe than that I was given up. So I'm like, okay, well, mentally, I'm just going to tell myself that they died and that's why they couldn't keep me. Right. So I'm telling my friend they died. She's thinking I'm talking about the parents she's met, you know, my adoptive parents. Right. And so then she goes and tells her parents that, 
you know, Ferrer is a liar. <laughs> so, so then we, you know, our friendship ended and it was, mm. and it was a, so I lost my best friend. Yeah. It was a big thing. And then I, I, but I was like so confused, but because she thought I was lying about, about having other parents that passed away and all this stuff. Ferreira said she also experienced a lot of bullying during that same year, so she spent a lot of time in the school counselor's office. Behavior issues were surfacing in the aftermath of revealing Ferreira's adoption, and it was a difficult year, and she switched schools the following year. That's when her creative outlet really opened up. And that's also when I began writing music, too, which that was like my lifesaver, literally. Really? And so... Yeah, you know, I was like, well, I don't know how to talk about this, so I'm just going to put it all into music. And that's what I, that's, you know, I, I always, you know, played piano and violin, but that was when I actually started writing, writing. She started piano when she was three years old, and her sister took lessons soon after. Then, Ferreira took up violin when she turned six, but the piano was always her go-to instrument. The family learned her sister's strong suit turned out to be academics, but Ferreira continued with music. She said she used to jot down bits of songs and occasionally lyrics, but never fully developed songs. The instrumental work began when she was 10. Then the deeper emotional lyrics came out. So, of course, I asked if Ferreira's adopted family was musical too or whether there were similarities between them. The way I think and the way I am and the way I talk and express myself, it, it's, I mean, it's completely different. And so that's why reunion was so crazy because I was like, oh my gosh, these people are like me. It was like the, the most bizarre thing <laughs> ever. I asked Ferreira if she had ever gone back to some of her old songs to see how they sounded to her now. She told me her mother has some of them on cassette tape somewhere, but then we both cracked up when we realized neither one of us even has a tape deck to play music on. But she did remember the essence of one of her first songs. There's one thing I can remember on one song. It was me telling God that I needed him. I know that sounds so crazy for like a 12 year old to say, <laughs> but I, there was a lot of like, like, I, I know what to do. And like, I just need God to help me. It was yeah. like, but what's heartbreaking is that I do remember one lyric, me not wanting to be who I was. So there was a lot of like shame. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this poor 11, 12 year old girl who thinks, that it's not okay to be how she is. And because I was so different. So that derived from me being different from my family. Mm -hmm. And so there's, so the shame of that. And then me, then me writing a song about God help me like not be who I am. Cause, cause it was so deep rooted in shame. I mean, that just, when I think about that, I'm like, that sucks. Like I, I, I just want to like hug my little girl. Cause that's just yeah. that's awful, you know? And I just didn't have, you know, my parents didn't have the resources or the information either. And, you know, so it was a very difficult thing for, I think, everyone to, to go through, you know, mm -hmm. my parents too, because I was just, you know, I don't want to say I acted out, but I was like, I had some issues. Whenever Ferreira asked more about her adoption, her mother's information was always limited. So her answers were never satisfactory. When Ferreira was 15, she wanted to find out more, so her mother took her to the agency she was adopted from, a subsidiary of the United Way. They were given Ferreira's file folder, which wasn't very thick and didn't have her original birth certificate because that's not allowed in Texas. But it did have notes that the social worker had taken. The last names of her first family were whited out, but the first names remained. 
And then there were three things in there that, of course, I was like so excited to get in that folder was a poem from my birth mother, a letter from my birth mother. And then there was like a photocopy, black and white, of course, and it was not good quality. Can't really couldn't really see it, but a picture of her and then my birth father. Wow. What did you think when you saw a poem? I mean, you, you know, are a songwriter <laughs> at this moment. Yeah, I, I was like, wow, she really she cared enough to write me a letter and a poem, you know? So when I got home, of course, I dug in that folder. I was so excited. I remember just reading it over and over and over and over her looking at her handwriting because the poem was typewritten, but the, like she typed it out. And then the letter was handwritten and it was all in cursive. And it was really, and what did I think? Well, the first thing I thought was, Oh my gosh, she sounds a lot like me or I sound like a lot like her. Yeah. Wow. That's really um, amazing. Yeah. The poem was titled Never Forgotten. Ferreira kept the whole folder together in her nightstand by her bed all through high school and throughout her life when she moved to Austin. In her early 20s, Ferreira called the adoption agency and had several conversations with a seasoned veteran of the organization. Ferreira called her Dina, but I got the impression that wasn't her real name. Dina said there was a $500 charge for the agency to help with her search, but Ferreira didn't have it and she didn't want to ask her parents for the money. When she was 25, she was dating a guy named Stephen, whom she showed her precious folder to. Stephen noticed that the first three letters of Ferreira's birth mother's last name had not been whited out on the poem she wrote. She had seen that before, but she had no idea what to do with only a few letters of a last name. They searched a Filipino last names database to see how many there were starting with those three letters. Filipino last names are often Spanish in origin, so there was a chance they could have found hundreds of possibilities. They found three. She picked one of the last names that she was really drawn to, went to Ancestry.com, and added the first name she already had with the last name, and found her birth parents. I had both of their first names, and so I typed in this last name, and the first thing that popped up was their marriage license. And I, I was like, they were married? Like, I, I, like, it was just like this crazy craziness. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I know. I didn't know they were married because the, the, the paperwork didn't say it. It didn't say whether they, because they married after they had me. That was what I was going to ask. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That I mean, must have been surreal. Absolutely. I, I think I screamed and then I ran around my apartment and he was like, all wide-eyed, like, oh my God, right. you found him and we didn't even have to pay $500, you know? Yeah. Anyway, so I called the lady and I was like, I think I found him. And this is this, these are some of the names. And she was really quiet for a second. I think she said, she was like, I can't technically say, but yes or no, but I'll tell you that you're on the right track. And I was like, okay, mm. I have the right people. It was 2008. So Ferreira went to MySpace where she found a bunch of cousins online. She said seeing pictures of her cousins was really validating because of their strong resemblance. As it turns out, my best friend growing up, I, another one of my really good friends, she was college, I think, suite mates. So not roommates, but they had they shared a suite with my one of my first cousins. Wow, that's crazy. Um, I know. And crazier part is I had met her before. <laughs> you had met your cousin before? Yes, this is so 
nuts. I know. I As I'm telling you this, it's like, you know, because this is the first time I've actually recanted all of this to anyone in, in like a long time. I feel like, you know, it's been a while I've talked about this stuff, but mm. I met her. I met her at a bar with, it was somebody was like having a good party at a, at a, it was like a bar restaurant. And we had a brief conversation because I was like, oh, she's Filipino. Like, oh, I'm actually adopted. And she was like, oh, you are? And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, do you think you'll ever try to find your family one day? And I said, I don't know, maybe. And that was the extent of our conversation. And I had no idea. I was talking to my first cousin, who who is the closest age to me of all the cousins. So I was born, and then she was born the next month. That is astonishing. It's wow. crazy. <laughs> That's yeah. so fascinating. And, you know, it's interesting, it's too. I could, world. It is. And it's funny. I could see how, you know, adoption doesn't always come up. But I could see how if the reason that you and she connected was because you're both Filipino, that you would start to talk about your family, your culture, whatever the thing is that brings right. you together. And that's how right. adoption would come up. <laughs> yep. That's because it would it might not normally. So that's especially at a bar, you know, <laughs> that's really interesting. Sorry. Ferreira knows now that she resembles her paternal cousins a lot, but it just wasn't obvious to them during that random bar introduction. Years after that bar meeting, things happened really fast. Before a trip back to Houston Ferreira already had planned, she decided to message another cousin on Facebook. She was treading lightly because she didn't know who knew about her and who didn't. Ferreira asked gently if her cousins happened to have an uncle named Arnold. When they confirmed their relation, she wrote back and said, hey, my mom wants to know if you would like to come over and meet the family. And of course, I said yes. And so literally that day I went to their house and met them. And there was like wow. 90 people. It felt like there were like 90 people. I mean, Filipinos have big families. <laughs> so <laughs> so there were a lot of people there and walking in, it was very overwhelming. I mean, I think at one point I went to the bathroom and I hid for like a few minutes because I just to collect myself, you know, <laughs> you need your safe space. Yeah. It's yeah, like, how that, how true that is. Yeah. It's a lot to take in. Yeah. It was a whirlwind and there were a lot of cousins there. I just remember it was like this shock. There was excitement, shock, and there was this, you know, Oh, you came back. There were a lot of these like, came back that these phrases like we've been looking for you you know we've been looking for you and so you know walking into a situation like that I mean I, I don't even know that I have the right words to, to describe it to, to describe this but it's like you're two different people it's like you're stepping into a different dimension like because I'm like well but what do you mean I came came back it was like their perspective was so different you know and for me I'm, I'm like meeting them for the very first time. And I mean, they're meeting me for the first time too, but it was, oh, it's one of us coming back. And I'm like approaching it from an, a completely different angle. Yeah. It felt good. To, it felt good to be there, but I will say that it was like, you know, I didn't sleep for like a year, I think. Mm. It's funny <laughs> so, yeah. as I listen to you express sort of recount what they said I can't help but think of the language they're using. It sounds definitely like they're familiar with you. They knew you and you went away. But it also is sort of the language of your choice to have departed, right, versus the reality, which is you had no choice. You were sent away. So it's just really Absolutely. interesting. I can see how you would feel like two different people because you're walking in like 
I've found you and I didn't really know who you were. And they're looking at you like we knew who you were and we're happy you're quote unquote back. That must have been really weird. Yeah, it was really weird. And I felt like, I mean, even when I'm like, I'm like trying to find a word and I can't even, and I don't want to, um, like I'm not trying to like throw anybody under the bus here but I I recall like one person kind of even being suspicious that I was really who I said I was oh interesting yeah yeah and I'm and I'm like do you not see how I look like all these people everyone was so friendly so warm and welcoming and her paternal side of the family is really loving her aunt was very emotional and shared the story of trying to keep Ferreira in the family, that they didn't want her to be adopted, and they fought for her, and that her birth father loves her. He wasn't present for the meeting because he lives in the Philippines. To this day, Ferreira hasn't been to the Philippines. He hasn't been back to the United States, so she hasn't met her birth father yet. But they've spoken, and she gets the sense there's still love on his side for his ex-wife. Her impression was the families did not like each other. Ferreira's maternal family was a well-known Filipino political family, and the paternal side were closer to working class, so the social statuses didn't mix. Ferreira turned her search to Googling her birth mother. She had married She had married Ferreira's birth father very young, divorced, and remarried, so she was tough to find. But Ferreira's paternal relatives revealed that her birth mother had a twin sister, whom Ferreira was able to find online. Out of the blue, she called her aunt one day at work and asked, Do you have a sister named Mary who had a daughter, who had given birth to a daughter like many years ago? And she paused. She asked if she could call me back when she got off of work. Mm -hmm. And then she did. And we talked for like four hours, I think, straight. Oh, my God. I know. I mean, it was like crazy. And she was telling me all about my – I mean – we we clicked really fast, my my aunt and I and my birth mother. And then, of course, then we scheduled a phone call. She told my birth mother, and there was a bunch of emails exchanged, um, scheduled a call. And my aunt was always – they're twins, so they're extremely close, and they're best friends and all of that. And so she was part of the process every step along the way, which – was extremely helpful that she was there to kind of um, facilitate the, the meeting over the phone and all of that. But I think in retrospect, I think I would have, I mean, I believe everything happens for a reason, but I really wish that, you know, I would have gotten a chance to just be with my birth mother, just her and I, um, you know, so. Yeah, that's interesting. As I hear you describing it at first, I was like, wow, that's really cool. There's literally a parallel person who can speak to this situation with some kind of objectivity from the side. But I also right. hear what you landed on, which is – but that also meant that this person was in every intimate moment of those first moments between us, which is challenging. Yeah, it was extremely challenging, especially given how it all kind of turned out. It was – I, I just wish that we wouldn't have been influenced by outside sources that haven't lived what we live every day, that have never experienced the loss of their child or their mother, you know, because I feel like 
I don't know. It's, and I don't, I don't want to, my feelings towards my aunt are very complex. On one hand, I appreciate her. I was, we were very close, but there was some things that happened at the end there that are still a huge question mark that I don't know, you know, basically after my birth mother and I had a, I don't want to say a falling out, but there was, there was a lot of, we just didn't have the resources. I mean, and this happens a lot from, from what I hear from with girls and their birth mothers or even, even men and their birth mothers. I've heard that the the gist is, is that like, it's really great in the beginning. And then at some point it falls off because underneath all the excitement, there's grief and there's anger and there's like all this stuff that, you know, I didn't even realize I was processing. And so she was just like, well, just be honest with me. And I was, and that that's what honesty looks like upon reunion for an adoptee is lots of fluctuating emotions, lots of trust issues, lots of back and forth, maybe like one moment, I think I want to do this, but I don't know, I'm scared, you know, and I had no therapist to process this with. And so it looked like I was like, all over the place. And and so, of course, to her, that would be hurtful, because she wants me to trust her, I'm her child, but that's just not how it in reality, you know, that's not how it perfectly plays out. And so I think it's heartbreaking, because we don't have a friendship any longer. I asked Ferreira to take us back to her first call with her birth mother and her aunt. There was a very significant moment in our very first conversation over the phone. And she like, she went quiet for a second. And I was like, hello. And she was like, oh, I'm still here. I'm just listening to the inflections of your voice. And I remember thinking like, you know, in the moment I was like, oh my gosh, she's listening to me. It was almost like the the woman who gave birth to me just told me that she's listening to me. And I've described it like it made, like all of a sudden I felt alive. I can imagine. Like I was like, Oh my gosh, she's, she hears me, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sorry. I know I'm probably being a little dramatic, but that's literally how it felt. Like I was just like in the moment I didn't, like put that together. But over the years, I was like, that's how I felt. And so we talked and I listened to her voice. Ferreira's birth mother and aunt are relatively young, only 15 years older than her. So in that first conversation, it was like speaking with two older sisters. The aunt was living in New York, her birth mother in Chicago. So everyone agreed to meet back home in Texas. The sisters brought their mother, Ferreira's grandmother, and their younger sister, Ferreira's other aunt, in August of 2008, they all met at a restaurant in Houston. We hugged and I immediately started crying. I immediately, like my body, it was really weird. It was almost like my body recognized her instantly, even though cognitively I didn't, it was, it was a very crazy experience. I mean, just the way that my, the way that my body reacted, I actually got sick, like immediately my my immune system, like I just got a really bad cold, like hours after we met and touched and all of that thing, all of those things. And she cried too. And we were hugging. And then um, we had the same colored nail polish on. We ordered, ordered the same entree, ordered the same. I mean, it was really like, it was a really cool experience. And later that night we went to um, my aunt, her, they have a younger sister. So there's twins. And then they have a younger sister who I mentioned um, already lived in Houston. We ended up going over to her place 
for coffee and whatever. And I had, I brought my keyboard with me. That was the one thing that she asked me to bring was my keyboard. Really? Yeah. And we played for each other. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. There's a video of it. It's crazy, crazy because of the way that I'm looking at her as she's playing and vice versa. And she also writes music off the top of her head too. And so we kind of just played for each other. It was really, it's really special. It sounds amazing. I mean, she's basically yeah. invited you to come bring one of the the pieces of yourself that you got from her in reality. Yeah. So that you could share yeah. it together and play some music. That's really cool. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was really, really special. And, you know, it was uh, um, it was really and she gave me a bracelet that said, love who you are. Like it was really she's really thoughtful. You know, the whole thing was really special and. And so I don't regret any of that, you know, regardless of how it turned out at the end, you know, because honestly, it's the most reunion is the most difficult thing I've ever been through in my life to this day. It's Mm. something I still process daily. It's still something that I wake up every day feeling like I have to start over and let her go every single day. It's like it's really hard, you know, being adopted and, and having this experience. I mean, but I don't regret it. I'm really glad that I got to meet meet her, you mm-hmm. know, and know my aunt, too. I was pretty curious about the deterioration of Ferreira's relationship with her birth mother. She's already alluded to the challenge of not being able to articulate her emotions and the added complexity of having a second person very much in the mix of their reunion, Mary's twin sister. She said after their first meeting in Houston, she and her friend Rebecca flew to Chicago to see her birth mother again. They met her birth mother and her half-brother. Rebecca and Ferreira spent the day with them. I didn't spend the night at her place or anything like that. Because, I mean, it was the second time ever meeting. So, But it was we were already so close. But the plan, you know, we had several plans. We had the plan was to call my birth father. The plan was we had like... And, and, but I was scared. And so that didn't happen. And then like, there was, there were a lot of emotions. I mean, there was just so many emotions. I can't even put into words, all the complexities of what was going on internally with myself and also with her. And of course, on the outside, we're just hanging out and having, you know, having a great time. She, she would ask me about my family. She was really sweet about asking about my family and things like that. And Oh, I forgot to mention where we stayed was at my sister's. My sister lives in Chicago. And so it's just coincidental. The sister you grew up with. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, all along things just happened to synchronistically. It was like, okay, this is supposed to be happening. And so when it started to deteriorate was actually that trip. I think, you know, after we hung out, I asked her to drop me and Rebecca off at a store like it because you know like down um there's like a magnificent mile and there's a there's like some shopping there and instead of asking her to take me to my sisters and from what i understand she felt like i didn't trust her and that was a big trigger for her is to feel um untrusted you know that really hurt her that you know and that we didn't we also didn't call my birth father you know and so she there were these in her mind there were all these inconsistencies yet what she didn't realize and what I didn't even realize was, well, Holy crap, I'm processing all of these emotions and things. I'm, you know, 25, I'm meeting my birth mother for the first time. Now the second time, 
processing all the the grief, the anger. I mean, because up into that up until that point, I had been through already a lot as a young adolescent, as a young adult. I had been through a lot emotionally because related to my adoption trauma issues. And so, you know, and I say trauma because now we know that it's extremely traumatic for an infant to be removed from their mother. And so so I was processing all these things, not knowing what I was even processing. And, and so there was a lot of lost in translation. There was a lot of just wires crossing. We were, we went at each other so fast because there was so much excitement that we like kind of ran past each other. We just missed each other. And that was, that's mm. what, what is so heartbreaking because in my heart, I know that her and I had a, an extremely special relationship. I mean, we're, I'm, there's so much about me that's a lot like her and like she made me laugh and we made each other laugh. I mean, it was really just so natural. And then, so it's, it's a shame that because of the lack of information, the resources, we just didn't have the information. We had no idea what was going on within ourselves or with the other person. And so how can we navigate that, you know, and we didn't have any help. I mean, and then, and then she's talking to her uh, twin sister for, I'm sure she was relying on her for, and, you know, my aunt is very, she's a very logical person, which there's nothing wrong with that, but there's, she's not lived what we have. We just didn't have the help. And so from Mm -hmm. that point on, there was an email from her and I exchanged after that trip. And that was kind of how it ended. Like, it was like, well, you know, you said we were going to do this and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, one of the things that really, really hurt, I mean, to this day, I think about it and, you know, I'm more just hurt. And I mean, she said that I was making it all about me. And I do believe that she was saying that out of her own pain for an adoptee. It's like, well, I didn't choose this. I I didn't ever choose to be adopted. I didn't choose for me to be in this position. And so, I wanted to work it out. I really did. And so when I reached out to her and tried to talk about it, I suggested let's get on the phone because emails are just things can get misconstrued. But I never did hear back from her again. Ferreira went on to say that Mary's email asked if she had thought about what it was like for her to lose Ferreira. She underscored the trust issues like having invited Ferreira into her home to meet her half-brother, but Ferreira didn't trust Mary enough to drop them off at her sister's house. It really hurt her that I didn't trust her on the same level that she trusted me. Like, and I don't know how to say this, but like, I'm going to say it, Mm -hmm. but she's the parent. And also not only that, I I kind of felt like, you know, at the time I was, I couldn't believe that what I was reading because she was basically saying that I needed to be on the same, but it's not, that's the thing. It's, you can't No two people, even people who are in like, you know, relationships or married or whatever like no two people is ever they're they're never on the same in the same place in life on their journey in the same like at the very same time that's just impossible people are going to and people are going to process things on at different paces at different levels and I didn't know that at the time she didn't know that at the time but it, she was but the main theme of her email was that I didn't trust her she was offended and hurt by that and also I she just wanted me to be myself. And in my head, I'm like, but I have been, I have been nothing but myself. In fact, I was transparent enough to you. I trusted her. I trusted my natural mother with my pain, you know, enough to, I trusted her enough to to show my pain 
Um, because I, I did say things like, well, I don't know that I could ever love you and Arnold the same way that you guys love me. Now, that's an uninformed statement that I made as a 25-year-old processing reunion. Mm-hmm. Do I still feel the same way now? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I can't, if if we all judged each other by things that we said or did when we were younger at different times, I mean, I don't think there would be any relationships in this world. So I just kind of feel like just the unfortunate nature of all of this, I feel like it could have just been prevented or maybe it was just we unnecessarily lost each other a second time. And I just think that's sad. And that's what I live with every day as an adoptee. Ferreira feels like she's glad for all that she's been through, despite the pain of losing her birth mother again. She said it took her months to write and eventually send her an email in the summer of 2018 to the last email address that she had for Mary. She explained her new perspective of what happened in 2008 in a more mature, more organized message. She even included recent pictures of herself, but Mary hasn't replied. Ferreira found Mary on social media, and occasionally she'll like her posts, and she's not trying to stalk her online, but... If I'm being honest, probably every day for the last mm, month or so. I mean, there, was a, there were periods of time where, times where I just, I was like, this isn't good for me. I shouldn't look at her pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, of course, you fall back. I mean, she's the woman who brought me into this world. How can I just treat her like... Like she's nothing. I mean, I I could, but I mean, we had a relationship. So yeah. And you'd like to think it's not over. It'd be different if you were in a place where you're like, well, this is done, but you're not. You're in a place of, it's really a shame that that went down the way that it did. And even though you haven't articulated it, it sounds like you think that it's repairable. Therefore, why wouldn't you? continue my, to try to reach out in little ways. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. That's exactly where I'm at. And I don't know that there's not some barriers that are being implemented by people in her life. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> like I yeah, don't know if that even is, came out like <laughs> I mean What I what I kind of heard you saying is that sometimes in reunion, you know, you have the people that you are close to and you trust and talk to about this. And they, therefore, are, for lack of better words, in your ear about the situation. Right. And so you said something mm-hmm. earlier about people possibly thinking, you know, are are you crazy? Why would you – do you do you feel like you should have even gone through this if this was the way it was going to turn out? So you have people in your ear expressing certain opinions and, therefore, I think what you're saying is – as she talks about this situation from her own perspective, others are in her ear saying things yep. that are basically potentially putting up false barriers that don't need to be there between the two of yes. you. When in yes. fact, it yes. should be about just the two of you for right now. You said it like you hit the nail on the head. That was exactly, I couldn't have said it better. That's exactly where, yes, 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 yes. All mm-hmm. of that. And it's it, that's what makes it such... A shame. And I think, and she's a huge hearted, you know, passionate woman. Like she's a really, like she's really loving. And and that's why I'm like, there's no way that she could just, I mean, she's the kind of person who used to tell me that she would forget that she's mad at you. Like, mm-hmm. cause she, she's just all about, you know, and so I, if I, I find it really hard to believe that this 
complete no contact that that's happening now is fully her decision. Ferreira has begun to accept that the current situation with her birth mother could be their reality for a long time. She's processing everything, every day. I encouraged her not to give up hope. If I could offer something to you, and this is something that Absolutely. I tell a lot of people, is to continue that sort of contact, outreach, the light touch stuff that just reminds people periodically that you're there. So, you know, if the email hasn't bounced back and you are thinking about her, like, just say so, you know, and send the email anyway, because it could be one cathartic to you to get it off your chest. You know how it is when you want to reach out to somebody yeah. you don't and it builds up inside you and you just want to explode. So yeah. I, I, I would say I would say let the let the valve go a little bit and just lightly. Right. Because you don't want to pour out so much emotion that you, for all intents and purposes, turn the person off. But, you know, the likes on her on her page and things like that, she may yeah. not be in a position right now to receive you. But ultimately, she also hasn't blocked you, which she could do if that was what she really wanted to do. So, yeah, that's another thing. She hasn't blocked me. Exactly. So <laughs> she's she's not it doesn't sound like she's completely in a place of just complete frost towards right. you. The other thing that I would offer is. You've said you're in your early 30s and she is, you know, 15 years older than you are. Um, right. I, I get the feeling that with time will come her own level of sort of maturity and processing about this that will allow you guys to take another step at a different time. So yeah. I don't I, I just don't get the feeling that the door is closed. And, no, and I that feel like really you means can, a lot to me. Yeah. yeah I, I, I just <laughs> – I've I've had people say to me, you know, that they've I, I've I've encouraged people to do this over over time. I had another guest who said, you know, she she wasn't sure what to do, you know, on Father's Day, on his birthday, and things like that. And I was like, listen, yeah. if it's in your heart to reach out and say I'm thinking of you, then just do it. Because the worst thing that you want to do is not do it, and then have the person ask, well, you never reached out to me, and it was in your heart to have done so. So right. I feel like those are light touch things. They don't cost anything. It gets it off of your chest and it allows them to know that you're still thinking about them. And until that time when they change their email and block your social media accounts, you know, you've still got a little tiny, you know, line yeah. into their heart. And I, and I think that's okay. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate that. And, and that gives me a lot of courage to to do that next time because I've thought about doing things like that and and then like didn't because I was like well that's kind of stalkerish or weird but you know but I totally think you're right I think you should just do it I mean the worst thing that can happen is you know if they do block you or if they don't answer well then at least you got it off your chest and, and said what you needed to say yeah that's right but, I feel strongly about that and I think you'll be I think you'll have another turn at uh, at chatting with her I hope so. Cool. Well, Ferreira, I, I really appreciate you taking time to share your story. I guess I'll just ask one final thing because I know that part of the reason you and I connected is because you have a song that you've written. Tell me a little bit about the song that sort of expresses your emotions about the situation. So the, 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 the single that I just released on February 1st is called second time. And, um, it's about, um, you know, losing 
my birth mother a second time and um, about what happened during our reunion. And it was written for her. And I wrote it shortly after all of that went down. And so the song itself, you know, it's a very emotionally complex song in that it sounds, there's a lot of grief. There's some anger. There's some, it's a just processing out loud song, but there's a lot of love, obviously you can tell from me to her. And so, yeah, I wrote, I, I wrote that in 2010, which is kind of when things really, we kind of just stopped our communication and, um, and it took me almost 10 years to release it. <laughs> so, cause I was scared wow. all these years, like, what if she hears it? And she is mad that my song is like, you know, semi-confrontational in some ways and like, you know, but I needed to write it and I needed to get it out and I needed to express it. And there's, you know, of course, when I released it, uh, a lot of my listeners are adoptees and a lot of them have gone through something similar as me in their own reunion. So, of course, I've been getting messages like your song made me cry today and all these things. I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't mean to make you cry. But, mm-hmm. but it's like, you know, it's. I would imagine it's a healthy cry, you know, the, the, you, yeah, the same way that a- you and I have had this conversation and I've said some things that are in your heart. I'm quite sure your song is saying things that are in someone else's heart. And because you've said it, they feel both validated and like crap that feels awful. And it makes me cry. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. No, I cry actually every time I listen to it yeah, in bet. the car. Bet. Um, but it feels good. It's like, you know, I, I, it's a, uh, and um, I, on Spotify, I looked at my stats and actually it says that there's three listeners in Chicago. Well, I only know one person. Well, I think I, I know two, but I don't, I, I always wonder like, mm. you know, if she's come across it, but <laughs> hopefully she doesn't listen to it and then never want to speak to me again. But <laughs> no, I'm yeah. kidding. No, I, 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 I hear you. don't think it would do that, but yeah. That's fascinating. Well, thank you so much for telling your story for Rerais. Sounds like, you know, another adoption, emotional roller coaster. And and I really do wish you the best on her coming around and to, you know, for your father to to actually get to meet him one day, because I think that that's going to be super important, however you can organize it. Uh, yeah, I agree. I'm just, you know, waiting for I don't want to wait too, too long, you know, because tomorrow's not ever promised. So right. I don't want to just wait yeah. too, too long. But Well, good luck. And I wouldn't wait too long because, you know, the difference, if those two aren't together, the differences in their emotions could be very drastic. And you could end up getting something interesting from him that you weren't expecting. Yeah, he's extremely, well, he said happy birthday to me this year, which That's made my, my, like made my my gear. I mean, everything. I was, it just meant everything to me that he said it, you know, happy birthday. And then he made sure that someone else told me happy birthday too. So it was like, oh my gosh, she remembers my birthday. I mean, I don't, I don't know if she remembers my birthday, but of course, you know, other birth mothers are always like, oh, we always remember. She but. remembers. Yeah. Yeah. Reach out to him. Ah, uh, will do. You are such an inspiration. I loved. I've loved talking to you. I didn't really know what to expect with this, um, with this podcast interview. But like you've, I, I, it really does feel like I've just been talking to a friend, and you've given me some, some. I think what's going to be some some life changing advice as far as like just you know, doing it. You know, I've held back a lot of my communications, 
you know, except for the email just lately, just because I've been so scared, you know, but I think it's like, ah, what am I, what have I got to lose? You know? Oh man, I'm so glad to hear that. It's just you and me on the phone here, girl. So I'm glad we were able to connect and and I really appreciate (laughs) you opening up. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Take care, Pereira. All the best to you. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, it's me. Ferreira's reunion was so interesting to me for the fact that her birth mother's twin sister was such an integral part of it. One of the things adoptees want very much is to create a personal connection to our biological relatives. And sometimes that's tough when the reunion is comprised of a room full of people, or as in her case, there was someone so close in the mix that it was hard to get close to Mary, who was the focus of her search. I hope that things will turn around for Ferreira and Mary. I liked how she phrased the issue between them, that things were going so fast that they ran right past each other. Let it serve as a cautionary tale to others to slow down to the extent that you can. On another note, Ferreira told me that her birth father is also a singer, and she's been watching a video of him singing an Elvis Presley song on heavy repeat. It's amazing to me how our biological parents pass on interests to us that we don't even realize we've gotten from them until it's confirmed in Reunion. You can find Ferreira's latest release entitled Second Time on YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. I'll let a portion of her song end the show. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you'll find something in Ferreira's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I, really? If you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can choose to share your whole story, maintain some privacy about parts of your journey, or share completely anonymously. You can find the show at facebook.com slash whoamireally, or follow me on Twitter at whoamireally. And please, if you like the show, you can support me at patreon.com slash WAI really. You can subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, it would mean so much to me if you would take a moment to share a rating or leave a comment. Those ratings can help others to find the podcast too. Let me go.